two months ago when Pastor Kurt approached me as we decided on the Old Testament series, and he asked which Old Testament narrative he thought I might want to do. And without hesitating, I said, Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac. That's my jam. Reserve it for me. Don't let anyone else touch it. <laughs> the section is laughing, because if you were here last week, guess what Dr. Dan spoke from? <laughs> Abraham and Sarah. But here's the thing. This story is so rich, as we were discussing this morning, you could preach on this series for a long, long long time. This morning we won't do that, but we are going to pick up the story a little bit in continuation. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, and when you find it, go ahead and stick your finger in it for a moment. Because before we can move forward, I'm going to move back a little bit, and I'd like to tell you a story. And it's a story about a boy. See, there's a story about a boy that was born into a loving family. The eldest son, he probably did what most boys do, and he learned, and he ran, and he played, and he laughed, and he cried, and he grew, and he trusted God. Yes, there's a story about a boy who grew into a man. And one day this man took for himself a beautiful wife. And, and they had dreams together about one day building a beautiful family together. And, and so month after month and year after year, they waited and tried and waited some more, but no children came. You see, this man's wife was barren. And she was unable to have any children of her own. She was unable to provide a family heir to the line. But still, this man trusted God. And one day, God spoke to this man. In fact, God promised this man that his descendants, his offspring, would one day be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And this man trusted God. And so month after month and year after year, they waited and tried and waited some more. And two years went by, and then three, and then five, and then 10, and then 15 years go by, nothing. And it was around this time that this man's wife began to grow impatient. Maybe it had been building for a while. And if God's plan was plan A, she devised and concocted and implemented her own plan B. And as you heard last week, and as is often the case with plan Bs, it didn't end well. In fact, after a lot of hurt and heartache, before long, they were back to waiting and trying and waiting some more. Month after month, year after year. 10 years, 15, 20, 25 years, and then 29 years after the original promise, the most amazing thing happened. She became pregnant. She became pregnant, and before long, she gave birth to a beautiful baby boy. And as you can imagine, this boy was born into a loving family, right? The son of his father, this boy probably did what most boys do, and he learned, and he ran, and he played, and he laughed, and he cried, and he grew, and he also trusted God. 
One day, this boy and this man began preparations to set out on a journey toward a hill called Moriah, where they had been instructed of the Lord to, to offer a sacrifice. And so this wasn't the boy's first time engaging in this kind of activity, so he knew what it involved. And as he began to scan the inventory as they were packing their pack animals, he saw, okay, there's the firewood that the, that the lamb's going to go on. Here's, there's the ropes that the lamb is going to be bound with. But, um, Dad, where is the lamb? The Lord will provide, son. So they set out on their journey toward this hill called Moriah. And when they arrived at the location where this offering, this sacrifice was to take place, this man built, constructed an altar out of stones. And then they began to unbundle the firewood, lay that on top of the altar. And as this boy is standing here with the rope in hand, he asks once again, Dad, where is the lamb? The Lord will provide, son. But first, I'm going to need you to give me your hands. And as the boy stretched out his hands, they were bound with rope. Okay, Dad, where is the lamb? Son, the Lord will provide, but, but now I'm going to need your feet as well. And they also were bound. And with an, a growing sense of urgency, the son asked again, Okay, Dad, where is the lamb? The Lord will provide, son. But son, now I'm going to need you to climb into my hands. And as he did, the father embraced his son as though it may be the last time. And then he laid him on top of the wood of the altar. There's a story about a boy who was born in a humble stable. The only begotten son of his father, this boy probably did what most boys do, and he learned, and he ran, and he played, and he laughed, and he cried. But when this boy grew, he grew in wisdom, and in stature, and in favor with God and with man. And this boy trusted God, and this boy was God. And this boy grew into a man, and as he did, he set about his father's work. And then one day, this man began a journey of his own toward a hill near Moriah, where his hands were bound with rope, and his feet as well. And he was laid on a wooden altar, and as he was raised up for all to see, I wonder if you could still hear the echo of a boy from generations before in that very same valley asking, where is the lamb? And I wonder if that question had finally found its answer once and for all and for all in the person of Jesus. And as this Jesus prepared to breathe his last, his father called from heaven and said, son, now I'm going to need you to climb into my hands and into the Father's hands. The Son committed his spirit and it was finished. Genesis. Chapter 22, beginning in verse 9. 
says that when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. And now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son from me, your only son. And Abraham looked up. And there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. Can you picture that scene? Can you imagine how quickly Abraham must have dropped that knife and run over to Isaac and said, son, let's get those ropes off you. You don't need them anymore because the Lord has provided. There's a story about a boy who was born into a world of sin. The eldest son, he did what most boys do, and he learned, and he ran, and he played, and he laughed, and he cried, and he grew, and he thought he trusted God. But then he was molested. Then his father left home. And in his mind, he began to fashion ropes of his own. And month after month and year after year, he bound himself with ropes of shame and inadequacy, abandonment. Until one day, this boy came to understand that from before the foundations of the earth, God had set out on a journey toward a hill near Moriah to be laid on a wooden altar called a cross, a symbol of shame, yes, a symbol of torture, yes, but also a symbol of unconditional love, of hope, of forgiveness. And the day that this boy, the day that this boy surrendered his all to Jesus, Jesus said, let's get those ropes off you. You don't need them anymore. The Lord has provided. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And I once was lost. Hallelujah. I love that line. I once was lost, but now am found. These ropes that bound me had become identity issues. Things that, that, that were so well ingrained that, that this is who I am. This is who I am. And when Jesus took those ropes off, he said, no, no. Sometimes 
what is needs to become a once was. And this morning, I realized that ropes come in all shapes and sizes. And for me, they look like this. Maybe yours do too. Maybe you've been carrying around a sense of shame. And maybe it's been put on you by someone else. Maybe you've been emotionally abused or maybe you've been physically abused. You didn't choose it, but you're carrying the weight of it. Or maybe they look like abandonment. Someone walked out on you. Or you've been neglected. Sometimes our ropes look like doubt, as we talked about last week. Doubt in and of itself is not a bad thing, right? God invites our doubts. But if we live there, if we camp out in it, it's bondage. We will never be able to fulfill the greatness, the purpose that God has in our lives until we're able to break free of these ropes. And maybe you've had some kind of past experience that has questioned you, challenged you to question God's existence or whether, or even his goodness. Insecurity. Maybe you've been bullied. Maybe you've been told by someone that you're not good enough or you don't have what it takes and you've heard it so many times that you've begun to believe it. And as long as you are constrained by those ropes, you're never gonna fulfill the greatness that God has in you. And here's the thing. If someone else has done this to you, I'm sorry, and you may very well be a victim, but the power of the cross is that you don't have to be anymore if you don't want to be. Oftentimes, these ropes are ropes that we weave ourselves. And this morning, I feel like I would be disobedient to the Holy Spirit if I didn't talk briefly about sin and admitting first that I'm the biggest sinner in the, wor- in the room. So I'm preaching to myself here. But I wonder, is there a chance that your ropes look anything like gossip? You ever find it interesting that gossip and murder are so often lumped together in scripture? Why is that? I wonder if in part it's because when we gossip about someone, it's like killing them with our words repeatedly but not letting them die from it. They have to live with it. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but your words will leave a longer lasting damage. what comes out of our mouth. Or, or maybe your rope looks like what goes in your mouth. Does your rope look like gluttony? And gluttony can be, of course, more than just food. It can be any overindulgence. But, but looking at food for a moment, you got to ask, why? Is there scarcity mindset behind it? I know many of you in this room have worked with the foster system, and and unfortunately, there are so many children in foster care that you see when they have an opportunity around food, they hoard it because they don't know where their next meal is coming from. Is Is that part of the mentality that's in you, or are you masking pain? Is there something about having a long, hard day 
at work or wherever and getting home at night that causes you to, to pull out that comfort food or that comfort drink and treat yourself. And I say that one carefully because last night, after working so hard in here to prepare this message for you, I may or may not have gone home, plopped on the couch, and ate a block of cheese while watching. <laughs> it's not even the worst part. It's watching Good Burger on BET. <laughs> but when it comes to you, um, I mean, are you trusting in food? Or are you trusting in God? <laughs> Does your rope look like a critical or judgmental spirit? I believe that the most offensive sin in the world to you should be your own. The most disgusting, the most vomit-inducing sin in the world to you should be your own. This is why Jesus made such a big deal out of the plank in the eye in Matthew 7. He says, your own sin is the biggest deal to you, and yet you're trying to focus on other people. And I, I, I just wonder... What would this world look like if before we cast judgment on someone else, we first came to an honest place of believing that our sin is worse than anyone else's on the planet? Insecurity. Sometimes it's not just what's done to you. Sometimes you put it on yourself. Sometimes when we're looking for our worth or our value, in things other than Jesus. We're looking for our worth or value in other people or in praise or applaud or accomplishment or we're we're looking for our worth or value sometimes in things. Another challenge to this kind of insecurity is that they're often the most critical of others. And I believe some of the most insecure people on the planet are bullies. Because they they, their entire value and worth is defined only by devaluing others. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> I love you guys. This is why I have to do this. Your body. Whether in here you're in a marriage relationship or a non-marriage romantic relationship, or whether you're single, this applies. And here's why. How and who you share your body with matters. It matters. Whether it's skin to skin, eye to screen, it matters. And here's why. Because it is spiritual. The world would like you to believe They will sell it like this, that sex is some sort of animalistic tendency, that it's a need that has to be fulfilled and that it can somehow be detached from the whole person. Show me that in Scripture. Show me that in Scripture. In Genesis, from the beginning, man and women were created in the very image of God. You cannot separate that. Of course, it is spiritual and it matters. You may say, well... Josiah, you're going a little over the top. (laughs) Have you ever heard, maybe said, or thought a statement like this? I believe I can still be a Christian and... 
fill in the blank. I believe I can be a Christian and still do this or drink that or, or watch that. It's no big deal. Do you know how rope is made? No master ropesman in here? All right. Rope begins with small elements called fibers. These fibers in and of themselves are pretty delicate. They can be ripped. And if you were bound with just a few fibers, no big deal. You break out of it, right? But fibers are twisted into yarn. And yarn is twisted into strands. And strands are twisted into rope. And before you know it, what didn't seem like a big deal has become a big deal. I can still be a Christian and dot, dot, dot. Are you sure you're not just trying to justify something that there may already be a question mark sitting over? Media. There's no question that we live in a media-centric world. From headlines and tabloids to social media to TV and, and video, movies, uh, and not even to count things like, you know, art theater, some of these other expressions of media. Um, I'm a musician. You wouldn't know it today, but I am. And I love music, okay? And I, 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 this used to be my expression. I'm like, well, Picasso wouldn't have only studied Christian artists or something like that, you know? It's like, I don't know if you like Picasso or not, but that's not the point. The point is, you know, it's like, I, got, I love all music. It speaks to me. I like the beat. I don't even need to listen to the lyrics. Ooh. Is it fibers? In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul is speaking to a group of new believers And they somehow got this notion in their head that freedom means being able to do whatever you want. And Paul is saying, okay, I'll grant you that for a second. Let's say that all things are permissible. But verse 23, is everything beneficial? Does it benefit you? Does it benefit those around you? Does it benefit the kingdom? And ultimately, is it benefiting and pointing to eternity? Another admission, I love country music. (laughs) If you need to cast the spirits out of me later, I get that. But (laughs) I'm sorry. I love country music. There's something about songs about love and loss, and it's wrapped up in this sentimental burrito almost of, like, music, you know? And... And to me, there's something that I connect with in certain ways. But when I look at it, 99% of what you hear probably on country radio has nothing to do with eternity. Even the greatest love song ever written has an expiration date. And while many of you know or found out along the way that I'm engaged to this beautiful lady on the front row, and I am so excited... July 4th, 2020, to marry you and spend the rest of our lives together. But even a, right, well, I say that because even a lifetime in the scope of eternity is just a blip. 
and only what is woven into eternity now will endure throughout. So listen to your country music. <laughs> but don't let that be the only thing that you're filling your mind with. I don't listen to a lot of Caleb, mainly because I can't listen to the same 12 songs and repeat always. But I love their slogan that what goes into a heart comes out of a life. Allie talked about this in her overflow message a few months ago. What goes into a heart comes out in a life. And the question this morning, what are you putting in? Because that's what you're going to get out. It's no big deal. Yeah. But is it fibers? You know, God's love is unconditional, but his promises are often conditional. And I, I just wonder, what if that promise that you've been waiting for and praying for is waiting for your hands to be unbound in order to receive it? Is there something that seems like it's no big deal? Right. Josiah, you're just being legalistic. It's not legalism, folks. This is freedom, true freedom. And it's already been paid for us by the power of the cross. You see, my identity was so wrapped up in this, right? Our nature that we're born with is sin. But do you know that that nature changes when we accept Jesus? The cross has paid it all. Is there an is in your life today that needs to become and once was? As I mentioned earlier, part of my story is that my dad was absent for a part, portion of my childhood. And he's sitting on the second row this morning. You see, if I would have stayed wrapped up in my ropes, that's what I, all of my focus and attention was, was, was me, my pain, my this and that. We never would have received the ministry of reconciliation through the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus did on that cross. And so this morning, this morning, whether your ropes were put on you by someone else, whether you have woven them yourself through months or years of intentionality or unintentional living, the truth for all of us this morning is that the Lord has Provided. Amen. And because he has provided, whereas our identity was once in Adam, it was a nature of sin, and by all accounts, in Adam, we were objects of wrath. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, we are now his adopted sons and daughters for all those who have received him. We are direct heirs to the throne. We've been given sonship. We've been given victory over sin. This morning, we're going to watch about a three-minute video that talks about our identity. And then we're going to have a brief time of response as the band plays instrumentally. And then we're going to move into a time of celebrating the Lord's Supper together. So as you watch the screen... Let's understand this. It's God's kindness that calls us to repentance. And the Lord has provided. You don't need these ropes anymore. <laughs> 